You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Well, having an example in life is so important, so extremely important. In fact, I would venture to say that most of you in this room today could point to at least one or two great examples in your life, people that you're seeking to pattern your life after. Maybe it's a, an athlete who through their godly conduct and the way that they're living their life, you say, hey, that's a person I would like to, to follow after. Maybe it's a parent, a, a dad, a mom. Maybe it's a, a pastor. Maybe there's someone in your life that has really shaped who you are, a teacher. Who knows? But all of us should have at least somebody that we can look to and say, yeah, that's a person that's got it right. They figured some things out. Oh, they're not perfect. But they have done life in a way that seems right to me, and that's somebody I would follow after. Today we're talking about examples and how important it is to follow the right pattern as a citizen of heaven. And Paul the Apostle is setting himself forth as that example. You see, in the early church, there wasn't really, besides Jesus Christ and the apostles, there wasn't really a lot of examples out there. People didn't understand exactly how to work through the practical implications of the gospel. And so they were figuring that out as they went along, and the Holy Spirit, of course, was there to guide them. Well, Paul presents his life as an example of someone who's living the right way. Someone who is living according to the right pattern as a citizen of heaven. Brothers and sisters, today, if you are believers in Jesus Christ, then you are a citizen, not only of Paris, Texas, not only of the state of Texas, not only of the United States of America, you are a citizen of heaven. Citizenship is important, is it not? It is very important. It's a very important thing. I recognize that even more so as I moved to Costa Rica and tried to, to, to be, be a resident there, tried to get my residency there in a foreign country. And boy, I am telling you, the immigration laws are tough when you get outside the United States of America. It's difficult to become a citizen or a resident of another country. I wasn't seeking citizenship of Costa Rica. I would never give up my United States citizenship. I believe this is the best country in the world. But I did want to live there, and it was very, very difficult. It made it almost impossible for me to become a citizen or a resident of Costa Rica. But I was a young man then, and I was still having kids. Oh, wait, I'm still having kids now, too. But anyways, we, we achieved our residency through actually you know, having children in that country. And those, ch those children, three of my kids today, they are dual citizens. They have a citizenship in Costa Rica. They have a citizenship here in the United States of America. And they could make that decision one day to you know, live in Costa Rica as a citizen. But they, 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 that importance of having that United States citizenship was not lost on us in that process. So we realized how important it was that we make sure that our children had that citizenship attached to their name. How important is your citizenship in heaven? How important is your citizenship in the, 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 the only place that is eternal? That's what we're talking about today. So citizens of heaven are going to live their lives by the right pattern. And Paul lays that out for us. And the first thing that we'll see that citizens of heaven do is recognize the right pattern. Look at verse 17 with me. 
Verse 17 reads, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul is returning to his earlier thought here in verse 17 in which he was holding forth his own life as an example. Remember that in the first part of this chapter? In the last part of the, the, the second chapter, he was talking about himself as an example. Remember, he had for a time lived as a wrong example. <laughs> he, he had lived his life chasing after things that didn't really profit. And he learned a lot of valuable lessons in that time. He had discovered that those things, things like religious rituals and legalism, hey, they were worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ and walking in a relationship with him. And so the right pattern to live by, Paul says, are those who, like him, have ordered their lives around mainly two things. Number one, being gospel-centered. The right pattern for citizens of heaven is to look for a life that is gospel-centered. Paul lived a life that was gospel-centered. What do I mean by that? I mean centered on the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners like you and me. That is good news. And we should remember it every day. Our lives should be centered on that. Our identity should be wrapped up in that fact. Because the devil will come along and seek to lie to you and beat you up and condemn you and take you down. But remembering that we stand firmly planted in the good news that Jesus Christ is a Savior who saves sinners like me and like you. That is a wonderful truth. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hey, there are many godly men and women who have taken this verse and made it their life's pursuit. Guys, it's a great way to live. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live trusting Him and His finished work and what He's done for me. And that changes who I am today, and it makes me who I am. I love that verse. Paul would also say in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified The gospel was central to Paul the Apostle's very core being. Guys, is it central to who you are? Is it central to the lives of those that you're seeking to pattern your life after? Is that man or woman that you see as an example in your life, do they live according to this pattern? Gospel-centered. I would dare say that if they are truly godly, and mature, then they do have the gospel at the center of their life. Now, the right pattern doesn't just stop at the gospel, though, the good news that sinners are forgiven by grace. It doesn't stop there. It must grow and continue and become, later on, this uh, Jesus-following lifestyle. Gospel-centered, but secondly, Jesus-following. You see, the life and teaching of Jesus Christ is what marks the lives of those who are walking according to the right pattern. Citizens of heaven walk according to the pattern that Jesus Christ himself set for us. I love what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7 tells us in, in the word of God. If you want to turn there, in fact, this morning, 
Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I'm sorry, I don't have the, the verses on the slide, so you just have to turn one book uh, forward in your Bible. Just a couple pages, really. Colossians 2, and look at verse 6 and 7 with me. We read, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I love those verses. We're to root ourselves and build ourselves up in Jesus Christ. To do that, we must study His life. We must read about His teachings. We must know how He lived. And guys, that is so, so important today. You see, it's not a pick and choose sort of a thing where you pick out of Jesus' life the things you like and then discard the things you don't like. We, we don't accept the, 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 the love that Jesus showed to his enemies' part and then reject the teaching on marriage. We don't accept one thing that Jesus says about hey, loving our neighbor, and then reject the part about denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily. No, we pattern our lives after Jesus. Everything that he said, everything that he taught, everything that he did. You know, when I was a kid, I used to see my mom sewing dresses for my sisters. Sometimes she would sew them a dress for Easter, or if there was a different special occasion, she would go to the store, she would buy the fabric, and then she would buy a pattern for that fabric. And she would lay that paper pattern out on the floor. And then she would get a whole bunch of pens out. And it used to take forever. She'd pen the fabric to the, the, the paper. And I don't know if I'm even explaining this right. Some of you ladies might know better. But, but this is what I perceived as a young child that she was doing. She's pinning it to the floor and then cutting it out. And cutting it in the shape of this dress that it would become. Maybe you remember some of those old patterns. I've got a picture of something like, like what I saw happening uh, there on the screen. And she would cut the fabric according to that shape. But my friends, the, 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 the lives, or our lives, are like that fabric. They're without form. They're, they're just kind of spread out all over the place when we're living for us. But as we go along, Jesus becomes our pattern. And we come along and we need to cut away the part of our lives that do not match the pattern. Now, there are men and women who have figured this out, and they've done that, and they're to be the examples that we're following. Paul was one such. He was one of these guys. His life was a pattern. He had, he had conformed his life to the image of Jesus Christ, and he says, follow me as I'm following after Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, are you cutting away those parts of your lives that do not match the pattern? Cutting out the things that don't conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Coming back now to the text in Philippians 3, Paul says that not only are we to recognize and walk in the right pattern, but that citizens of heaven are also to reject the wrong pattern. We're to reject the wrong pattern. Look at verse 18 with me. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. Now notice in these two verses, Paul is referring specifically to someone. Now earlier he had talked about the Judaizers, 
those that were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then they were trying to add in the law. And they were saying, listen, to have a real, li- a real spiritual life, you need Jesus, but you also need to follow the law, the teachings of the law. And Paul rejected them outright there in the first part of chapter 3. Now, Paul has in mind a different group of people that he's talking to in verses 18 and 19. He's referring in these two verses to professing Christians who are following the worldly philosophy of the Greeks. There was a Greek philosopher named Epicurus who taught his followers that the satisfaction of physical appetites was the highest aim of man. Let me say that again because it should sound familiar to you. The physical appetite is the highest aim of man. So whatever the body wants, whatever the body demands, that's what you give it. That's what you do. Whatever feels right in the moment was the philosophy that they pursued. Now many Christians had mixed this Epicurean philosophy with their faith. And because of this, their Christian liberty turned into license for sin. They said, hey, Jesus Christ has forgiven me. Therefore, I have all this liberty now that becomes a license to go ahead and do everything I want to do in my flesh. You see, they didn't understand that God's grace was really meant to lead them to live a holy, authentic life that God intended. Instead, they thought that God's grace was divine approval, was a divine approval stamp to go right on sinning. So they did. And we can observe at least three things that mark the lives of those who are living by the wrong pattern. The wrong pattern here. First of all, they're going to be opposing holiness and godliness. Okay, people living according to the wrong pattern, they take the opportunities given to them to oppose holiness and godliness. They're going to actually ridicule these things. Oh, come on. You don't think that we really have to do that, do you? (laughs) Oh, don't be so legalistic, they'll say. Man, you're just a holier-than-thou type of Christian. They'll they'll tell you and me. And so it's kind of this idea that, hey, we're going to oppose holiness and godliness. Paul puts it this way. He says that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. What does it mean, that phrase, enemies of the cross of Christ? Well, what Paul means there is that they were living a self-indulgent lifestyle. They were just living to indulge their own selves. The phrase, enemies of the cross of Christ, is, is, is telling us that they were not fully willing to identify with Jesus Christ in his death, and therefore they were unwilling to die to their own flesh as well. Christian, you and I are called to identify with Jesus Christ in his death. When Jesus died on that cross, he died for your sin and my sin. And as we identify with Jesus Christ in his death, we're saying, hey, I'm dying to sin i'm dying to the old life and i'm being raised again in the new life as a new creation of what jesus christ has given me my body's not my own it's been bought with a price guys that is what we are saying when we embrace the cross of jesus christ but there are christians or professing christians i should say who are enemies of the cross why is that because they're living a self-indulgent life unwilling to die to the flesh. I pray that that doesn't describe you. Secondly, they're exalting the flesh, Paul says. That's something else that marks the lifestyle of the wrong pattern. Their God was and is their belly, Paul says. 
And they glorify shameful behavior, thinking all is good. Guys, I shouldn't even have to uh, say it, but this should, the alarm bell should be going off in your brain right now <laughs> as we are watching the sexual revolution sweeping through the United States of America. As we are watching uh, uh, things like gambling and abortion and addiction being glorified. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that stuff. <laughs> That's totally normal. And they're glorying in their shame. One Greek writer named Euripides wrote in a play called Cyclops, in which his main character, the Cyclops, says this. He says, My flocks, which I sacrifice to no one but myself, and not to the gods, for to eat and drink each day, and to give oneself no trouble, this is the god of wise men. That was a man who is following the Epicurean philosophy. Whatever satisfies my flesh, whatever is the easiest, most trouble-free way to live, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll say. Hey, I don't want to stir up trouble. I, I know this is my family. I know we just got together for Thanksgiving, and I know that people are living in this way, but I, I'm just going to go with it because I, I don't want to stir the pot. I just want to make things as easy as possible for me. Guys, we have to be careful that we don't fall into this kind of a mentality where we exalt the flesh and glory in shameful things, where we become participant because we no longer stand for truth. We just say, you know what, I want whatever's easiest for me. <laughs> Whatever is going to, to, to give me no trouble, that is the God of the wise men according to the Epicurean philosophy. Also, we note, thirdly, they exist only for the present moment, Paul says. Those that live their lives according to the wrong pattern, their mindset, it's just on temporary happiness. This is their aim in life. Hey, if it feels good, do it. If it seems right, do it. Who cares if it hurts or harms someone in the long run? As long as I'm getting what I want now, therefore, I'll do it. That's also a form of ethics called antinomianism. Did you know that? Otherwise known as lawlessness. Lawlessness. It's a form of ethics that runs rampant in the United States of America today. Materialism. The, the, the idea that, hey, I indulge myself and I don't hold back. It's me first. It's what I want that matters. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what Jesus is calling me to do. I am following my own indulgent, selfish desires. That's the, the, that's the life of someone who is living the wrong pattern, Paul says. Now, there were many in his day that were doing just this. Oh, we're Christians. We belong to the church. But they're living with these three things marking their lives. Guys, we need to examine ourselves this morning and make sure that we are not living this kind of a lifestyle. That this doesn't describe us. Where Christ really is not first in our hearts. Where we ourselves are our God. Living for temporary happiness 
has jolted Paul's mind now to prompt us to once again, in verses 20 and 21, remember the resurrection. And this is the third thing about being a citizen of heaven. We live our lives remembering the resurrection. Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We'll pause right there for now. Paul is using this opportunity in his letter to the Philippian church to compare and contrast the lives of those who follow the right pattern against the lives of those who are following the wrong pattern. He tells them, first of all, to live with eternity in mind. This, this needs to be so important. This is such an important part of what Paul is saying. Please get this this morning. Notice, first of all, with me there in verse 20, that this is a physical place. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. It's a physical place. It's not here. It's not in this world. It's in heaven. And this is, this is important to realize. Our citizenship is not in this world. It's in another place. It's in heaven with God. That word citizenship, if you want to underline it or circle it, and then write out in the margin of your Bible, community. Community or commonwealth. Either of those words is what this is really talking about. The, the King James Version uses the word conversation. I like that. It's as if it's a reminder that we're going to be fellowshipping there in heaven. <laughs> we're going to have great fellowship with the Lord in heaven, guys. It's where true community is finally going to be realized. You see, the community that we share now, it's good, but it's been corrupted by imperfection. Remember the old saying, if, if you find a perfect church, tell me, and I'll go there with you. But the problem is, as soon as I get there, it won't be perfect anymore, right? I'll ruin any church I ever go to because I'm a sinner. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the truth about community here. Now, we do a good job of it, but we're not perfect at it. We're definitely we're far from the perfection that we're going to experience there in heaven. The community, the commonwealth of heaven. We, we will physically be with Jesus in this eternal state. I love that about eternity. Paul says that we're to eagerly wait or to hope for, to fully expect it. That's what that word eagerly wait means. It's one word in the, in the Greek that means that we fully expect something to happen. And what, that, what are we fully expecting? Well, we're fully expecting to be in the presence of Jesus Christ and to receive eternal bodies. The word Savior there in verse 20 is the word soter in Greek. And that was a term that was also used by Roman emperors. And so what Paul is doing is he's setting Jesus up as the opposition to the world's form of government. You see, the Roman Caesars saw themselves as the saviors of the people. And for the Philippian church, living in a Roman colony there, founded by the Roman army, they would have considered themselves Roman citizens. It was a big part of their identity. But Paul is saying, listen, for the church, you actually have a higher emperor. And that emperor is Jesus Christ. And so, guys, don't ever forget that. We're citizens of this world. Yes, we're called to enrich it by living our lives in authentic 
community the way that Jesus wants us to. But when a push comes to shove, Jesus is the higher authority. Jesus Christ is our higher authority. And then notice that it's, it says there in verse 21 that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies. He will transform our lowly body. The word transform, if you want to circle or underline that, and then write in the margin, to change in outward structure. I know that's a lot to write. Maybe just write it on your notes. To change in outward structures, what that word transform means. In other words, what Paul is specifically saying here, and I love this, you've got to grasp this. He's saying, hey, you don't get completely overwritten and reprogrammed by God. No, he says, you just get this outward structure that's going to be different. Your, your spirit is still you. It's still the, just the way God made you, the beautiful person that you are, that God has crafted you to be, the way that he made you. None of that changes. God loves your personality. God loves the way he made you. With, with whatever you think is a quirk, whatever you think is, is, is you know, unique, to you, God made you specifically that way, and he doesn't ever want that to change. But he is going to give you an outward structure change. The basic substance of your spirit, the essence of you, that never changes. But he does transform this outward structure. Now, that word lowly there, that word means humiliation. And the idea is that because of sin, our bodies have been made low. They've been humiliated. Think about this with me. Follow me with, uh, with me on this. As a result of Adam falling into sin, the sin nature has been passed down to every single human being. The human body has been humiliated by that fall. It has become corrupted on every level. Think about this. Adam and Eve, they once functioned on a level in which their mind was not corrupt at all. It was completely pure. They once functioned in, in, in a body that had nothing wrong with it. Nothing, even the genetic structure was perfect. Think about that for a second. I've been told, and I've, been, and I've read this as well, that our DNA, even the genome, even the human genome, on its most basic level, is not quite perfect. There's something, it's just, it's, the structure's not right. There's errors in it. And, and I believe that's a result of the fall. And so every, even at the most basic level, there are signs of the corruption of sin in you and me. Our physical minds, our bodies, even our senses, which used to function perfectly and completely in Adam, they're now operating in a fallen state, a humiliated state. Think about what 6,000 plus years of sin has done. 6,000 plus years of snowballing effects Think about that. But in one beautiful moment, brothers and sisters, at the rapture of the church, when this transformation occurs, every believer will suddenly receive a spiritual body, an immortal body, a body that will be just like the body that Jesus Christ had when he was resurrected, or has, I should say, when he was resurrected. Our bodies will suddenly become fit to fully express our inner life from God. The spiritual life that is in us now, but we're unable to fully live it out, right? Because we're, we're confined by the limitations of sinful flesh. But one day, guys, we're going to be transformed. We're going to be given this new body. And in that moment, we're suddenly going to realize, hey, I'm able to fully express 
the inner spiritual life that you've given me, Lord. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be wonderful. That's all going to be accomplished there, you see, in verse 21, according to the mighty resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. His energy, His power, His might is what's going to bring that about. Oh, man, I don't think we realize how powerful Jesus is. I really don't think we get it. But he's going to, in one moment, guys, he's going to transform millions of, of believers into new bodies. It's going to be amazing. And that is why we must continue in our faith, trusting in Jesus in this life for the life that is to come. Check it out there in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is wrapping up his thoughts here. He says, therefore, in light of all of that we just studied there, in light of the fact that we're, we're going to be uh, living in resurrected bodies one day, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Stand strong in the Lord forever, he says. It's going to be worth it. You'll, you'll, you'll have no regrets that you stood strong in Jesus Christ. Guys, don't lose sight of the goal. Don't forget about the resurrection. Don't forget that this life, as is, is hard as it may be right now, what you're going through, as difficult as the trial may be, as sick as your body might be, don't ever forget the prize. Don't ever forget what is coming. Don't ever do it. Stand fast in the Lord. Continue trusting fully in Him. Notice in that in verse 1 there, chapter 4, Paul calls the Philippian believers his joy and his crown. Why did he say that? He said that because he knew that one day he was going to stand before the Lord and he was going to be rewarded for his service. And part of his crown, part of his joy of doing what he was doing was the lives of the people that he impacted. Who are you impacting? Who is your joy and your crown? Is it your children? Are you making an impact in their lives? Is it your students? Is it your employees or your fellow workers? Is it brothers and sisters in the Lord? I don't know, but somebody is going to be your joy and your crown. Who is that? And will it last for eternity? Who or what is that? You see, many Christians today are living for things. Just like these professing Christians in Paul's day, they're living this kind of hedonistic lifestyle. Hey, whatever satisfies my physical appetites, that's what I'm doing. With no thought that one day we'll stand before our Creator God. Think about that. Remember that. What is your joy and crown in this life? And will it last for eternity? Let's pray.